Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Samuel chapter 12. This is verses 1 through 14. This is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare it for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arm and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do the same before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who was born to you shall die. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray for your goodness, Lord, that is running after us, that that your goodness would overcome Lord, our hearts that are bent towards evil. And so, Lord, I pray that as as we hear your word proclaimed, Lord, that we would receive it not as a word for somebody else, but a word directly to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of my favorite things to do on a Sunday afternoon after church is to sit and watch golf and fall asleep and take a good golf nap. Uh, I don't know if I'm the only one who does that, but golf snaps are just really uh, just wonderful things. And one of the things I, I enjoyed about watching golf, especially in a pre-COVID world, was um, hearing the different people, uh, hearing the roar of the crowd that would sometimes wake me up or, 
or hearing somebody shout out like, you're the man, Tiger. That's what they would say. They'd say, you're the man, Tiger, which really made me feel good um, whenever that would, would happen. Um, being called the man is something that, that, makes, that would make us feel good, right? To be called, you are the man. And, but when it was said here in this context, you are the man, it was not the way that David wanted to feel. Because it wasn't pointing out how good he was, but actually how evil that he was. And as we, start, as we have our awakening weekend, the purpose of today is not to think about how good we are, but actually how evil we are. Because all awakenings, all revivals, all renewals actually begin with the spirit of repentance. A friend of mine, he shared this quote earlier this week, and it says this, Real revival does not begin with joyous singing. It begins with conviction and repentance on the part of the Christians. And so if we want to see Mustang renewed, if we want to see our, our church renewed, if we want to see our community, our state, our nation renewed, it doesn't begin with them out there, but it begins with us in here. It begins with us turning inward and looking at our hearts and being open to God's revelation. And that is how renewal spreads, is not through what we do out there, but the work that God does in here. As I've studied church history and as I've looked at, at different awakenings throughout history, it always begins time and time again with repentance, repentance, repentance. It's the people of God acknowledging their need for God and the total change that only God can do. And so as we talk about repentance, um, repentance is not being sorry for things. It's not messing up and saying, I'm sorry, that's not repentance. It's more than that. It's about changing the direction that we live. It's about wanting to live things God's way instead of our way. It's about a total change of our heart and a belief in the negativity of our own self. And so as we begin our message today, I'm going to invite you to just be still and just to receive this, this prayer and just that God would help us to see and that he would reveal to us our own brokenness and our own sinfulness. Because this isn't a sermon for your neighbor, it's a sermon for you. So let us pray. And so Lord, we pray that you would reveal to us this morning how we are like David. Where there maybe there is a blind spot to our own sin or brokenness. Maybe there's something right now, God, that you are wanting to speak to us. And so, Lord, would you reveal that to us? May we see where you are calling us to give our hearts and our lives over to you. Reveal those places that need repentance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the story of David is actually a great example of repentance and how repentance takes place. And, and, and part of what we have to understand about the story of David is that David was a king. Now, the people of Israel, so we've been talking about the wilderness. And so they got out of the wilderness, they got to the promised land. For a while, they were led by judges who were sort of temporary military leaders. And, and God was their king, but they wanted an earthly king. And they cried out to God, God, we need an earthly king like all the other nations have. And God was like, I'm, you're not like all the other nations. And you don't really want a king, but I will give you what you are asking for, even if it's not good for you. Because this is what he said, the nature of kings are like. And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. I want you to pay attention to how often the word take is used. How often 
take is used to describe kings. He said this, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of the chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifty, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, he will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And really what we see there is that the nature of a king is to take. Now I know what some of you may be thinking out there is like, I'm not a king, I'm not a queen. I'm not somebody who has power like David has. But, but I, I heard a, a pastor one time talk about that we all have a kingdom. We all have a measure of influence. For some of us, it may be larger. For some of us, it may be smaller. But there is all a measure of influence that is our kingdom that we have. And no matter if our kingdom is big or if our kingdom is little, the nature of us as humans is to take. It's to take what is somebody else's and use it for our own good. To take what is... To take... Uh, a loud vehicle and disrupted church service, right? Like to take, this is what happens, is we, we take things in this world. Uh, and what God says is that that's the nature of kings and that's the nature of us. And we use our power most often to take, a, to take advantage of the vulnerable. Where we have power, we use it to take it advantage of the vulnerable. I see it in my own lives, I see it in the lives of other people. Is wherever we have power, we use it for our own good. And we see that that's exactly what happens with David. And so in this story, let me just kind of outline this, this story uh, for you. At the beginning, it talks about how there was a time in which kings went off to war, but David didn't go to war. You see, he wasn't with his people. Instead, he sent them instead of being with them because he had the power. And he lived on top of a mountain in the best place where he could look out and see his kingdom. It kind of reminds me of the Lion King when Mufasa gets Simba and he says, everything the light touches is part of our kingdom. And David could go out of his house and he could look out and he could see the promised land and more importantly, he could see his kingdom. And being king, he thought that whatever he saw could belong to him. And so one day he goes out and he sees a, a woman bathing and he says, I want that and I'm going to take that. And so he took Bathsheba into his house and he got her pregnant. And then, as so often happens with sin, we begin to cover it up. It's not just the incident itself, but it's everything that goes up with it. If you want to know an area of sin in your life, is what do you work hard to do that nobody else will see or know about? What is it that you try to cover up, that you try to hide, that you try to make sure that nobody else will see? And this is what David did. Because when he realized that Bathsheba was pregnant, he thought, oh, I got an easy solution. I'll just bring Uriah home, her husband, and then everything will be well. But he refused to enter the house while his men were at war. And so 
David had to think of a plan C. And so he thought, well, the only thing that can happen is if, if Uriah goes to battle and dies, then I can comfort the grieving widow. And so he sends Uriah basically on a suicide mission. He tells him to go ahead and everybody else retreats. And Uriah dies. And then David gets Uriah's wife Bathsheba as his own. And he thinks he's gotten away with it. And he thinks that he has a new wife who he likes and that life will be good because nobody knows. He is taking care of covering up his sin. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to cover up your sin, you know that doesn't work out too well. It may be good for a little bit, but eventually the truth and the light comes out and it exposes the darkness in all of us. And so what happens with David is he thinks because he's the most powerful person, the king, that he can cover it up. But the truth is he can't because God knows and God always knows. And so God sends Nathan. Now imagine being the prophet Nathan in this story. Like you just know that David killed, had Uriah killed because he would be affected. And here you are going to go to the king and proclaim this message. And so he tells him this story. And he tells him this story. And what David thought was because he was the king was that he was judging somebody else. And that Nathan was not telling him a hypothetical story, but he was telling him a real story and asking for the king's judgment on it. And he tells the story about how there was a man who was rich, who had lots of herds and lots of money and lots of things that he could do. Meanwhile, there was a poor guy who had just this one lamb that was like a daughter to him. And there's this big discrepancy between the rich and the powerful and the poor. And when somebody came over, and needed a, a meal, an act of hospitality was to kill one of the animals and to bring that um, and to offer that as an act of hospitality. You could even use a neighbor's animal if and only if you didn't have any. And so that was something that could be accepted, but it certainly wouldn't be accepted here because the rich man had plenty of options and instead he took from the poor man. And when David heard this story, and as somebody who knew what God wanted to do, he was, e he was eager to pronounce judgment. He said, this man should die, all right? And, and really, he said, this is an action of death that was going on. That this is a deathly thing that is happening, all right? This man should die, and he should pay back four times because of how gross and egregious this action was. Because the man did this, and he had no pity. And isn't this the way that we all are? Is that when we hear about the sins of somebody else, we are eager to judge. We're eager to put them in judgment, and we're eager to say, oh, you know, oh, you deserve all these awful things because of what you've done. We are eager to judge the other. We're a lot less likely to judge ourselves. I've heard somebody say this, we judge others by their actions, while we judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge other people by what we see, even though there's a lot we don't know, while we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt time and time again. If you had only known my circumstances, then you would understand why I did that. I like to say that we like mercy for ourselves and justice for other people. We want to receive mercy, and we want them, whoever them is, to receive justice. And so Nathan confronts David, and after he tells him the story, and David pronounces the punishment, 
Nathan pronounces these words, you are the man. You are the one who took what didn't belong to you. You are the one who took this lamb and had somebody else receive the slaughter. That is who you are. And because of that, but the story gets a little bit confusing. And, and when we get into this idea of mercy and just judgment and justice, it gets a little bit confusing. Because verse 10 says it this way, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. The, the sword shall never leave, is what it says. And then David says to Nathan, he acknowledges, this is such an important part, he acknowledges his sin. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. He said, this sin is not going to be the cause of your death. But there are still consequences. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly sworn the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And so what this last little bit of our, our scripture tells us is that David is forgiven of his sin, but he is not free from the consequences of his sin. Most of us, whenever we say we're sorry, what we want to do is get out of the negative consequences of our sin. We want to get out of whatever sort of punishment or judgment or negative things might happen to us. We want to get rid of that, but that's not the way God's forgiveness works is that God's forgiveness can take away the guilt of our sins and it can take away the power of our sins, but it does not take away the consequences of our sins. And so many of us, we just want to get rid of that when in fact there are times where we just have to face the music and walk through the consequences of our sins, especially the deeper rooted ones in our lives. And really, the best thing is to be free from the guilt and from the power. I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And I know that for myself, as somebody who's, who's had addiction as part of my story, I understand the power of sin that, that, that can get its hooks in you and never let go. And, and how that sin just builds up and builds up and, and how the cover-ups just so naturally happen and, and how then you have to lie to, to hide something and, and it just builds and it builds and it builds and the power of sin becomes unmanageable. It becomes too much for us and that is the nature of sin is that it will continue to win until you give it to God. And if there is something in your life that is inconsistent with God and you've tried to make it better and you know you need to change and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried, the reason you are failing is that you are not free from the power of sin because you haven't confessed it, you haven't repented, and you haven't wanted God to change your heart. The only thing you've wanted is to be free from the consequences of anything that you've done. And what we have to do as the people of God is say, don't just change my outcome, change what's going on inside of me. Change my heart. Free me from the power and the guilt of sin. And I know that whenever I've carried around sin and I carried around shame, it becomes such a burden. And so many of us, we, we know we should do better, but we struggle with all these different things and we carry around the shame and we wonder if people only knew me would they really love me? Could they like me? If they knew what I was like when nobody else could see me, what would my life be like? And 
God wants to free us from that, from that guilt and that shame. And he also wants to free us from the power that that sin has over us. My friends, sin is a very powerful thing, and it will kill us. Now, one of the things that I think is important for us to know is how David responded to this. Because he did have to deal with the consequences. His, 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 the child died. He experienced rebellion from his own kids um, as part of that. But he does end up turning his heart to God. And one of our most famous psalms is Psalm 51. And it is the psalm of David, this poem that he wrote right after he found out, and his urgent cry to God. Because this is finally the moment in which he says, Lord, I don't want to take what doesn't belong to me anymore. I want to receive the gifts that you have for us. And so this is what Psalm 51 says. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And do you see the posture that he has here of just total and utter dependence and surrender on God? I can't do it. Wash away all my iniquity. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. This is who you are. You are full of mercy and compassion. Your loving kindness will never end. And so David as a king is a taker, but God as a king is a giver. He gives unfailing love. He gives mercy. He gives goodness. He gives forgiveness. Verse 3 says it this way, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Now, one of the most important things that I think we often overlook as Christians is what it says in verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I think a lot of times we think we are good people who do bad things. That we are mostly good people who do mostly good in the world, but that is not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we are bad people who can be redeemed through goodness by the goodness of God. And so many of us are like, well, I'm mainly a good person. I do a lot of, of nice things. But every good thing that we do is from God. And I think so often we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt that God does not give us. We are sinful people who are redeemed. Every once in a while I'll see a public figure who will uh, make a mistake. They'll say something or do something. And they'll use these words as they'll say, well, that's not consistent with my character. That's not who I really am. But the truth is, if we're doing these kinds of things, that's part of who we really are. I don't always stumble into sin. Sometimes I walk into it straight face to face. And we have to realize that because we are sinful from birth, that we are in desperate need of God's goodness. And that is the only way you and I can be good. And we see this with kids, right? I think about a one-year-old or a two-year-old. What's their favorite word? It's mine, right? We want to we wanna take what my toy, my food, my mom, whatever it is, it's mine, and they want to take it, right? You want to make a kid mad? Go take their toy they haven't played with in three months, right? That's mine. 
You want an adult man? Take something that's important to them. And they may not say mine, but they'll say it with their actions. They'll feel it. It's mine, and we want to take it because it gives me comfort. We want to take it because it gives me pleasure. We want to take it because we want our kingdom to be good. Because we want to be kingdoms of our own hearts and of our own lives, and we want to take what doesn't belong to us. But God is a giver, and he gives us forgiveness. Verse 7 says this way, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Is that we can be forgiven, that we don't have to carry around this shame or these things, that God can wash us and cleanse us. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? Like, I don't want bones crushed. That does not sound fun. I've never had bones crushed, but it sounds really painful to me. But here's the amazing thing, is that when God is working on us, there is a crushing aspect to it. He crushes our sense of kingdom and things that are important to us so that he can rebuild something better. And the strongest people I know are people who have been crushed, and God takes what is broken and makes it beautiful, and he builds it back stronger. I used to lift weights. I don't lift weights anymore, but I remember when I was in high school and they were talking to me, and they said that when you lift weights, what literally happens is you tear your muscles and they come back stronger. And this is what God does with us, is these things that have crushed us, we can come back stronger. And even in this year in which a lot of things are crushing to us, I believe that the resilient people of God who see this season not as a time in which everything is taken away, but as a time in which they can focus on the growth and on the goodness of God, that we will come out stronger. Our church will come out stronger. Your faith, your family can come out stronger. Even though we've been crushed, God can rebuild us in a new way. Verse 10 says it this way, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is what God can do is he can take our evil hearts that are our nature to take, and he can give us a clean heart, a pure heart that is full of his love. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I look out here and I know that there are some of you who have been Christians for a while, and, and maybe we've lost the joy of our salvation. And maybe one of the reasons why we've lost it is at the beginning we were so dependent on the love of God and at some place along the way we became more and more dependent on our own self. And we've lost the love we had at first because we don't rely on the love that we had at first. We don't soak in the love that we had at first. We haven't surrendered to the love that we had at first. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And maybe there's some of us out here who that needs to be our prayer today is that we've been so surrounded by negativity, we've been so surrounded by brokenness, we've been so surrounded by despair. That what we need is to surrender to God and say, restore the joy of my salvation. Because what happens is, is then we get to share the good news. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was anxious, but now hopeful. Because of what Jesus has done in me. Verse 13 says it this way, Then I will teach transgressors your way, so that sinners will turn back to you. 
Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. How do we know how our relationship with God is? If when we open our mouth, praise flows forth. And if we find ourselves in a season where that's not happening, where negativity is more likely to come out than the goodness of God, then we need to surrender to God anew. And we need to give Him our hearts, or else we're going to keep taking. My friends, that's really the choice we have. Is you and I can be our own kings and queens. We can be the rulers of our own lives. And we can keep, we can, we can serve the God of comfort. We can serve the God of security. We can serve the God of our own needs that are being met. And we can say, you know what, I've got this under control, God. I don't really need you. If there's one of the gifts that 2020 has taught us, it's that all these things that we thought we could count on, we can't count on. The only thing we can count on is God. And what's happened is I hope the pandemic makes us a more desperate people for God. But I'm afraid it's only made us mad at God and at one another. And so what we have to do is turn to God and say, I need you. And so what we're going to do is have a little bit of a time of, of prayer um, where we're going to invite you to be still and, and really just have God work on your heart. Maybe there's an area in your life that God has just been saying, you need to give this to me. You need to give this to me. You need to give this to me. This is not consistent with who I've called you to be, and you need to give that to God. Maybe there's some of you who've lost your joy, and you need to rededicate your life. You need to turn to God anew, and you need to say, Lord, I need you. I've been trying to do it on my own, and I'm worn down. I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I need you. And maybe there's some of you, you've never turned to Jesus. You've turned to all sorts of other things, even some things that most people would say are good, but you've never really turned your heart over to Jesus. And you've been relying on your own strength and your own security or insecurity, and it hasn't been working out for you at all. And maybe today is the day you need to repent and say, Lord, I want you to be king of my heart. I want to give my life completely over to you. And so what we're going to do is we've got some, some chairs, and we're going to invite you. Uh, we're going to have some prayer team members on the edges. And if you want to pray with somebody, we'd love for you to be able to do that today. Because there are, we can't do this on our own. We need to say these things out loud. That's part of what our reform groups are going to be about. It's about walking this journey. All right? It's about, it's about giving ourselves over to God. James says, confess your sins one to another, and you will be healed. God does the forgiveness. Healing happens in community. And so you don't need to hold it in. You need to share it out. You need to tell somebody. And so we're going to invite you to this time of prayer. You are invited to pray at your seat, but also, again, we'd love it um, to, if you would go pray with some of our prayer team members. We do have masks available. Um, you're going to have that close contact uh, with a prayer team member to wear. We're just going to spend this time with God. So I'm going to open us up in prayer. And then we just invite you to get right with Jesus, whatever that looks like for you. And again, you're welcome to go and pray with somebody as well. So Lord Jesus, we realize that we are takers. We don't want to be takers often, but that's our nature. We are not good people who do bad things. We are bad people who every once in a while, through your grace, are able to become good when we are redeemed. Forgive us for 
making excuses for ourselves that are not what you are calling us to do. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners. We acknowledge that we are people who have sinned and fall short of your glory. And, Lord, we know that that's not your promise, but that you say you see our sin and our brokenness and you love us anyways, that you sent your son Jesus into the world, not to condemn the world and to say how bad we are, but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so, Lord, we need that sun today. As the sun shines on us right now, we need your sun to shine in our hearts. So, Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to say that we can't do it ourselves. We need you and we need one another. And so, Lord, as your people, we give you this time. As we pray at our seats, as we pray with our prayer team, maybe just couple people need to go pray in the back and, and just pray for one another. Maybe you grab the hand of the person next to you, touch their shoulder, and pray over them. Because Lord, we need you. And we love you. So we offer ourselves in prayer. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.